Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday 5th of January, 2020. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Psalm 139 and brings us a message entitled, There is None Like Our God. You'll find our reading this evening in the Old Testament book of Psalms and in Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And this is the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shoal, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed, my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me that lead me in the way Everlasting. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God for his word. To many in our world this evening, God is well past his sell-by date. And to an ever-increasing number, he appears to be totally unrelated to anything they do. And their words and their actions, along with their reactions, reflect the darkness of their fallen hearts and stubborn wills. But not so the writer of this psalm, Psalm 139. 
Someone has defined him as a poetic genius, a man who knew and loved God. When you look at the psalm in detail, God is referred to by name six times and by his by personal pronoun thirty times. And the psalmist refers to himself fifty times. You come to the conclusion of this song and you discover that here is a song of profound spiritual experience. We have an insight here into the engagement of a soul with God. The timing of the psalm is very important, I think. It can be answered by considering what we read in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. It's a key verse. David has united the nations. David under God has defeated its foes and put its internal affairs in order. And settled down to be a shepherd king to Israel. And then it occurred to him that the living God of Israel, the God whom he had worshipped and served and wrote of in a variety of ways in these Psalms, the God to whom he owed everything, still lived in a tent. And so he was determined to build God a temple, a temple fitting for such a God as Jehovah. He shared his exercise with the court chaplain, Nathan the prophet, who gave immediate approval. An approval that they had to modify almost at once when God spoke on the matter. David's son would build the temple, Solomon. But God would see to it that since David was concerned about God's house, God would be concerned about David's house And Jehovah would establish David's house as a permanent dynasty until the coming of Christ. And this promise rang loud and clear in David's soul. And he spoke to the Lord about it again and again. We have that conversation in 2 Samuel 7 and 18. And in 1 Chronicles 17 and 6, the king went in and sat before the Lord. And here's what he said. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? David's heart was overwhelmed at the greatness of God's thoughts toward him. And it's possible that David may have gone into his room that night, not to sleep, but under the inspiration of God to write this psalm as a response of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. One commentator expressed what many others have felt about the psalm itself. He said, language utterly fails me in the exposition of this psalm. Where does one begin? What does one include? It's so full of intricate detail. It's so grand in its concept And it's thrilling in its statements and in its stanzas. So I want us for a few moments to linger at this precious portion, this powerful portion of Holy Scripture, in order that we might catch a glimpse of the Almighty. If your God is too small tonight, then I encourage you to come with me to Psalm 139. 
and to explore the depths and scale the heights and catch the breadth of these tremendous truths that we have been reading tonight. To look again into the scriptures of truth and discover afresh the glory and the greatness and the goodness and the grace of our God. Notice first of all tonight that the psalmist makes a great discovery. He makes a great discovery. The psalm begins with the writer discovering what it means to be in touch with the Almighty. He is in touch with an omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God. And nowhere else in the Bible does the Holy Spirit give us such a detailed exposition of these three essential attributes of God. This psalm helps us tonight to discover truth about God's omniscience. That God is all-knowing. That nothing escapes His all-seeing eye. His awesome and all-knowing mind is what overwhelms the psalmist here. Notice how he defines it, how he declares it. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. The word search here literally means to pierce through. We sometimes speak of seeing right through a person. And that, of course, is a figure of speech in human terms. But from a divine perspective, when it comes to God, it's a fact. But I want you to notice that David doesn't run away in fear from this truth. The word he uses here also carries with it the idea of searching for a treasure. God was looking for what he could bless. God was looking for what he could approve of. And he was looking for what he could reward. You remember the story of Hagar, the handmaid of the Lord. Uh, who conceived uh, because of Abraham. And in her great need in Genesis 16, she says this, You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. It was not a response of terror and fear, but rather a grateful acknowledgement that God, Abraham's God, took note of her. Even she was an unwanted slave. God in heaven took note of her. God in heaven had an interest in her. And so as the psalmist makes a great discovery, he reminds us what he discovered about God's omniscience. And he develops this truth about God's omniscience, about the all-knowing God. He makes a fourfold confession about God's ability to see him through and through at all times and under every circumstance, in all places, outward words and deeds and innermost thoughts are known to him. And the truth of the matter tonight is this, that we all live under such an eye. Whether we regard that as thrilling or threatening depends on the way we live. As David develops this truth here, uh, he realizes and brings to focus certain things. He reminds us that the Lord sees where we go. He says, you know, when I sit and when I rise. 
Even the casual acts of sitting and rising are known to him. When I go to bed, when I get out of bed, all known to him, all seen by him, he's interested. The Lord sees where I go. The Lord knows how I think. You perceive my thoughts from afar. And that word you in the Hebrew language is a very emphatic word. It simply means it's God alone who possesses this kind of knowledge. No law court in the land could convict a person on the testimony of a witness who professed to be able to tell the court what the accused thought. Only God can read our thoughts. People can say certain things with their lips. And there's a contradiction in their thoughts. But God can read our thoughts. Twice in the Gospels we read of the Lord Jesus. He knew their thoughts. And one of those occasions was critical. After seeing so many of the miracles he had performed, the Pharisees decided that Jesus cast out demons by the power of Satan. And the Gospel writer in Matthew 12 tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew their mindset. And from that moment, he accused the Pharisees of blaspheming the Holy Spirit and began to teach in mysteries. He knew their thoughts, and he can know our thoughts as well this evening, whether spiritual or sensual, whether lofty or low, whether compassionate or cruel, whether noble or nasty. He knows every single thought that has ever crossed our minds. He knows each and every one. He sees my movements. He searches my motives. He surveys my moments. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. What a discovery the psalmist is making here. There's not a step from my first effort to toddle as a young child to my last faltering steps in old age that he doesn't know. And he knows to every word that I speak. It has been said that every day the average articulate man speaks enough words to fill a good-sized volume, and in the course of a lifetime enough words to make enough books to fill a college library. And we forget by far the vast majority of them But every one of them is known to God. Do you remember what Jesus said in his gospel? That every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account for them on the day of judgment. That that doesn't cause us to bridle our tongues while nothing will. God knows all about us. He knows all about our mean and spiteful words, our kind and our thoughtful and our helpful and our encouraging words. The Lord knows too every word that we have uttered in worship and praise. And he has promised that if we confess him before others, he will confess us before his Father and holy angels in a day to come. What a knowledge. The psalmist says, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. And that little phrase, hem me in, is used to describe a city being besieged on every hand and there's no escape. You see, none of our little disguises deceives the Almighty. He sees through them. 
None of our petty expressions fool him. He sees through all the games that people play and all the exploiting and all the maneuvering. Notice how God, first of all, discovers, or how the psalmist discovers God's omniscience and how he develops the truth about God's omniscience here. The Lord sees where I go. The Lord knows how I think. The Lord knows every word that I speak. And then notice, furthermore, how he deals with God's omniscience. He responds by saying, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Such knowledge is too lofty for me. It's too wonderful. It's too lofty for me to attain. It's too great for me to know. And as we pull this all together tonight, there is a challenge in these words, isn't there? An article in the London Times once asked the question, what's wrong with the world? And it got many letters in response to such a question. But in the correspondence that followed, the shortest letter was by far the best. The writer says, in response to your question, what's wrong with the world? The answer is, I am, yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. And so often, the problem is a way out there. The problem is in the next street. The problem is next door. When all the time, the problem is lurking in my heart and in your heart. Because the problem is sin. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none of us who are righteous, no, not one. Sin is something that affects you and me tonight. All of us, through Adam, are fallen creatures in the sight of God. And God sees and God knows and we can hide nothing from God. We see this again and again bearing evidence in the gospel records. Whether it be in his encounter with a man called Nicodemus. Whether it be in his encounter with a man called Zacchaeus. No one had to come to the Lord Jesus and identify to him these people and their need. He knew them. He knew where they were. And he knew their need. There's a challenge in these words tonight. God searches our hearts through his word By his spirit. God knows us. We cannot hide from God. God knows us as we really are. There's a challenge in these words tonight. But not only is there a challenge in these words tonight. There is great comfort in these words tonight. In spite of what God knows. He cares so much. He cares about us so much. That he did not pass us by that he did not give us up to the devices of our own fallen heart and fallen nature. He knows, he cares so much that he did not pass us by, nor will he pass by those who have been wounded and bruised by sin, those who are baffled and beaten and battered. You know the story of the man who traveled from from Jerusalem to Jericho, that he fell among thieves. I can't remember the first time I heard this story, and 
Dating myself saw it enacted on the old flannel graph board. And the Levite came and he passed him by. The priest came and he passed him by. I'm sure they said meaningful words into his ear. They may have quoted from the book of the law. They may have sympathized with him to a certain extent. But there came a Samaritan. One who was his supposed enemy. And he came to where he was. And he met his need. It's the story that goes on to the general heading of the good Samaritan. It's a story that points us in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a story that reminds us that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. It's a story that reminds us that God's love, God's goodness, God's care knows no limit, knows no boundary. It's a story that summarizes the gospel of the grace of God. It's a story that reminds us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a story that teaches us that he who many thought to be an enemy was our friend. And he came to where we were. The old hymn puts it like this. He found me bruised and dying. He poured in oil and wine. He whispered to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. I never heard a sweeter voice. It made my aching heart rejoice. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. Wondrous grace. That brought me to the full. And when God searches our hearts, God searches our hearts not only to challenge us, but God searches our hearts like to comfort us, to bring to us that assurance that He loves us, that no matter how often we sin, no matter how long we have sinned, that His grace is there to meet us at the point of our need. That he longs that we cast ourselves upon the Lord. That we experience his mercy day after day. These words challenge us. These words comfort us. But not only is there a comfort in these words tonight. Not only is there a challenge in these words tonight. But there there is a consequence to these words. You see, we need to respond to the Word of God. We need to respond to this great discovery that the psalmist is making. A discovery regarding God's omniscience, that He is the all-knowing God, that I cannot hide anything from Him, that He knows me from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. Do you remember that first question in the garden. Adam, where are you? And of course it was a question not for God's benefit, for God's all-knowing, but for Adam's benefit. Something had taken place in the life of Adam that had never taken place before. He had sinned. He had broken the law of God. He was aware of his own nakedness and he tried to hide from God something that is totally impossible in himself. And how many there are tonight like Adam 
running away from God. Yet God comes in the heels of Adam. And he says, Adam, where are you? In a minister's class in college, the students were invited to read this passage of Scripture. And someone read it, and the professor rebuked him and said, Don't read that as if it's a cross-judge looking for a victim. Read it as if it's a heartbroken father looking for his wayward son. Adam, where are you? You know, tonight, there is a consequences to these words. How we need to humble ourselves. How we need to swallow our pride and come with humility and flee to Christ and to run as fast as we can to the refuge of our souls, to the only one who can bring us into a saving relationship with God, and that is Jesus Christ. There is a hiding place tonight. There is a refuge tonight. There is a place of safety. There is a place of security. There is a place of serenity. I think it was Charles Wesley in one of his hymns wrote these lovely words. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stead. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head neath the shadow of thy wing. There is a refuge tonight, one to whom we can run. There is a hiding place tonight. There is safety, there is serenity, there is comfort, there is support in our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. This psalm is all about God, about His ability, about His attributes. It begins with God it ends with God. It is saturated with God. There is none like Him. What an amazing discovery the psalmist makes about God's omniscience, that He knows all things. How He declares this truth, O Lord, You have searched me. How He develops this truth. God knows where I go. God knows how I think. God hears what I say how he deals with this truth. He reminds us that God's omniscience challenges us, that God's omniscience comforts us tonight. And the consequences of God's omniscience should be that we humble ourselves before the Almighty and we flee to the open arms of the Lord Jesus Christ and we rest in the provision that he has made for our sins at the place called Calvary. That we realize tonight there is no other refuge. There is no other hiding place. There is no other hope than the resting refuge and hiding place that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God tonight for our Creator God. We thank God that he has opened eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and wills to respond. And if God is your refuge tonight, if God is your strength, your support, 
in your comfort tonight. Then respond to him by loving adoration. Respond to him by a loving allegiance. And seek to live for him. And seek to honor him. And in living for him. And in honoring him. Express the gratitude that is in your heart and soul. For all that God has done for you. We thank God for his word tonight. We thank God for who he is. And we thank God that he allows us to make this great discovery that he is omniscient, that he knows and sees all things, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he longs that we might walk with him and talk with him and experience every day his blessing upon us. We thank God for his word. Let's pray.